It's good to see everyone this morning, and Jimmy has come up this morning and told me two things, of which I am both very grateful. He walked up to me and he said, you know, Randy, you look at least two inches taller. <laughs> you need friends like that. As, you, as some of you who weren't here, I decided not to try to lose weight anymore. I'm just going to try to get taller. I need 12 inches so that I'd already be at my ideal weight. And Jimmy's just encouraged me like somebody would come along and say, have you lost weight? Jimmy just came along and said, you look a couple inches taller. That helps. Y'all, y'all can do that anytime you want to come and give me that kind of encouragement. The other thing that Jimmy came up here and said was that he kept getting a word and the word was cleansing. Jimmy, I don't know exactly how that fits into the sermon, but it was the word that told me which sermon to preach this morning. So I thank you because I was sitting here, as the scripture says, halting between two opinions, not knowing which one to preach until you said what you said. Now I know. So uh, thank you for your obedience and thank you for the clarity that that brought me. I spoke this past week with a grandmother who... uh, A while back, it's been a couple of years or maybe three years ago, her grandson took his own life in Lubbock. And there are very few of us who can actually say, I understand. I wouldn't be so presumptuous as to tell her I know. I don't think you can get there until you've walked there. And I'm grateful that not many of us know. But she was telling about how difficult things got how hard it was for her. And I want to tell you, this is a great woman of faith, uh, just in, in every form. I don't know them well, but have known them for 25 or 30 years, unwavering, absolutely unwavering. But I want to tell you, when something like that happens, you have to come to the recognition that a lot of times the God that we have been worshiping doesn't seem big enough to handle that. And you have to find something within yourself There has to be a new reality, a new walk, a new faith, a new relationship, because it takes a a very big God to walk you through that. She told me, she said, and she gave me details. She said, I was on bottom and everything that that looked like in the dire situations that that in the place of her mind, in the place of her heart, to the degree that she didn't know what to do next, truly in the depths of despair. And if you'll let your mind imagine as much as you can, what that would look like, that's where she was as she was talking to me this past week. I want you to know she is fully recovered from that. She is fully whole, fully a woman of faith again. God delivered her, but I want to share with you what he used to so drastically change her story. What happened on this day of the greatest despair, this great woman of faith cried out and said, God, if you are real, Can you imagine? Yes, we can. Because the God that most of us know that it helps us each day, we have to find something very, very different on that day. So she cried out to God and said, God, if you're real, I need something and I need it right now. And she said, I've heard people say it in church many, many times. It almost seemed like a cliche that I didn't know where to look. So I just opened the Bible and it, wherever it would open. And that's where I began to read. And she said her Bible opened to Isaiah 58. And she said, in that chapter, God addressed every question and provided every answer. So I don't know this morning where each of you are. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what your level of joy or what your level of despair is. I I can't read you and I don't know. But I do know that God prompted this message this morning because this one wasn't prepared for this. It wasn't prepared for now. But I need to share this with you. For some reason, someone 
needs to hear this. No, I don't think so. That all that God gives me is I don't know if this is for you and your despair. It may be. My suspicion is you know someone who needs to hear this, that you are being made ready to deal with somebody that is in great need. I want this morning for us to go to Isaiah 58. If this doesn't sound familiar to you this morning, it's because I'm reading from the English Standard Version and not the King James. The first three verses of this chapter is the Lord exposing the shallow worship of his people. The recognition that they're coming together, but that the worship is not coming from the deep recesses of their heart. The worship is coming straight from their lips and not meaning much. And God addresses that in these three verses. Look, let's look at those first. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgment. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. So God is unfolding. Yes, they are crying out. They're asking God for righteousness, but they are not giving up. I want to tell you, there is in this, this word for cleansing that Jimmy mentioned. This isn't part of the sermon I prepared. This is a bonus. You're getting extra this morning. I hope it reflects in the offering plate. That was supposed to cause you to laugh more than that. I'm a little concerned. There is a great concern in what is being written here in, in Isaiah 58 as God exposes the shallowness of their worship. Because one of the things that we talked about last week about messages being sent, and, and it's important that our actions come out of the message and not out of the circumstance. Well, that works in reverse too. By your actions, you're sending God a message. Maybe not the message you would like to send. But if you're trying to say, God, I love you, God, you're worthy, all the things that we would like to say to God, and you continue as, the, as they are continuing here, you're continuing in your sin, what is the message you're sending to God? If we can knowingly to continue in sin, what message are we sending to God? Well, the message is pretty simple. I think it would say, God, I, I love you, but I am more important than you. I'm considering myself more than you because that's the message that comes out of that decision. In Isaiah, this scripture is, is dealing with this kind of compromise. That's what creates shallow worship. We're living one way and trying to sing something else, and it has a hard time coming from our feet. It has a hard time coming from way down deep. When we're living in compromise, because it, it has to come out of something pretty shallow, and that's what he's warning about. In verses 4 and 5, God exposes another layer. He says, Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not take your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? So again, he's exposing this narrowness of what's happening in his people. Verses 6 and 7. He explains here the character of true worship. This is what he's wanting, and this is what he's expecting. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, 
to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and to hide yourselves from your own flesh? He's saying, is that not what you would expect me to want from you and to expect from you as, as people of faith? Listen to that again. Is not this the fast that I choose? He said, is this not what I want? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free? And to break every yoke? He said, everything I'm doing is about that. I want people to be free. And I sit here this morning and, and stand here this morning, and you do too. Wondering how long this sadness will keep penetrating my life. I'm not ruling out grief because grief is real and necessary in the eyes of God. But I want to tell you, for, for believers, so many of us carry a heavy countenance, carry brokenness. And God said, I, I, do you not realize I died so that you don't have to do that? I died to set you free. I died to, to release you from those things. I can speak this. Not easy to do every day, but we ought to be the happiest. We ought to be the most joyful, the most loving people who have ever walked on the face of the earth, not because we're better or different, but because we're members of a citizen of a nation whose God is kind, whose God is good, whose God is love, whose God is joy, whose God is peace. Our, the sovereign over us is a God who is saying, I love you so much that I sent Jesus to die so that you don't have to carry the sadness and the brokenness that you're carrying. That in a moment, in a second, I can lift that off of you. That's what he's saying. Loose the bonds of wickedness and especially this, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed, to let those who are feeling heaviness, I want them to go free. I want to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? He's saying, that's what I expect. That's what I love to see. And then verse 12, this is where, to me, the real difference made. And this is where she said that God began to show her the healing that, that she needed for the brokenness that she was facing. And she said, after that day, after this scripture, for her, everything changed. So to those who desire to honor that which God said, as he expressed his desire for those who would worship him in spirit and truth, he makes these promises. He has told us clearly in the scripture, what kind of worship is he expecting from us? He wants those who worship in spirit. He wants those who worship in truth. Again, I think we're only touching the surface of what God hears and what's really happening when we sing and praise and worship God together. I think there's a dynamic there that we don't fully understand. To those who are simply weary, he makes these promises. Let's begin reading in verse eight. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the, the pointing of the finger and speaking with wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose water does not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. 
You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If we will, according to verse 8, allow ourselves to become the vessel of true worship. Let me just take a quick detour. Anybody in here ever, I haven't watched the whole thing, but anybody ever watched the movie Amadeus? It's the story of Mozart and a man, Solieri. He uh, was a contemporary of Mozart. And when he first heard Mozart music, it reached him and hit him in such a way that he immediately knew and was connected to this reality that God was expressing himself through Mozart. Because when, when Mozart would play, he didn't write and edit and he didn't improve it. It came out one time, he wrote it down and it was brilliant. And Solieri was just extremely jealous because everything he wrote, he had to work terribly hard to produce, terribly hard to make right. And even one time in the movie, he has a piece that he has written and someone's sitting there trying to play it and Mozart hears it and he walks in and into this great ballroom and he, he says, you know, the guy gets up from the piano and they all applaud and he says, well, you know, can I, can I play it? So the guy's going to hand him the music. He says, I don't need the music. I've heard it once. I can play it. And he begins to play it very unintentionally because Mozart, according to the stories, it was very playful. He, he didn't really take all of this very serious. And it just drove Solieri crazy that Mozart was so gifted, so, such a, of an expression of God, and that he wasn't. And as Mozart began to play it, he, Mozart would look up at him and say, you know, you kind of miss it here. Would this sound better? So Mozart was critiquing his work. And he says within the movie, I began to feel hatred for that little man. He dedicated his life to make sure that Mozart would never believe about himself what God said about him. That Mozart would never believe the greatness that God had established in him. And Solieri made it a lifetime commitment to make sure that everything he could destroy in Mozart's gift, he would destroy. And he did it. He did it. When they buried Mozart, they, they carried him out in that casket and they took him out of the casket and dumped him in that group grave and threw, threw the lime on top of him. Destroyed him. I want to tell you this morning that God has, an, has established a truth about you. God has established something in you that was designed to be spectacular. God did something in you so that when, as an expression of your life, there would be never anyone quite like you that could accomplish and do before God what he established for you to do. And I want to tell you, God has established that in you and for you as a gift back to himself. But I want to tell you, every one of us have a solieri in our life. His name is Satan. And he's determined to make sure that you don't believe about yourself those things that God has said. He is very, very determined and he's very good at it. And there are many, many believers who die broken under what Satan has said instead of accepting the truth of what God has formed in us. I want to tell you this morning that that brokenness, that lack of confidence and belief in who God has made you to be will always ruin worship. It is almost impossible to worship God in spirit and in truth if you don't first believe about yourself those things that God has said about you that are true. For every ounce of negative that you allow Satan to establish in you, it will diminish the worship that you offer back to God. That makes sense. It's almost a mathematical equation that the more that you believe about yourself that is wrong, 
Your worship before God is diminished the same way. But when you believe what God has really done, when you believe the name that God has really given you, then your life can become the full expression before him of all that he has said. We watch it in children. It shouldn't be a great surprise to us because we watch it in children because if, if you begin, you take these small kids that run out of here, and if you begin to tell them how remarkable and solid and good and kind they are, you will watch them radiate exactly what you said. But when the minute you begin to tear them down, you will watch them be diminished and almost walk away broken. There's power in it because they believe now something about themselves that is absolutely untrue, spoken by our voices, spoken by our words, and we watch them get smaller and smaller. Verse nine, if we take away the yoke from our midst, which is what, what does he say? What do we have to get rid of? The pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. I said it earlier. If I look at you or you look at me in search of the error, in search of the mistakes, in search of the shortcomings, if I look at you that way, then the song of my life being sung before the father will sound like a shrill sound in his ears. Why? What am I doing when I do that? What's really happening? Tony is a creation of God. He is someone that God created with great purpose. I have an option. I can speak to the goodness of that creation and watch it please God, or I can tear the creation down and it will sound like a shrill sound before the Father. The day of pointing fingers, that day has got to be over. I listen, and you do too. I was listening to Tony Evans a couple of days ago and his comments about what happens in, after the election. And he said, there may be racism out there, but he said, I will never tolerate racism in here. There may be brokenness out there, but he said, I will never a single day tolerate brokenness in here. He said, I can't believe what I'm hearing Christian people say about each other because of things that are happening in the world. He said, in this kingdom of God, there will be no finger pointing. That yoke has to be removed because that day of worship requires, and he said it as plainly as it could be written in verse nine, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. Who doesn't want that? Is there any cry from our Christian life that says, I want my life to rise in the darkness and I want the worst day that I have, the gloom that I have to still be as bright as noonday. That's, that's us. And I want to tell you that when this happens, the world out there will take notice of the church again. The world out there that is living under the heaviness and living in the darkness living in the lie, living in the disruption. I promise you, when, when this happens within the body of Christ, and I can tell you it's available right now. We know this, it's available right now. Doesn't require another day for our brokenness to be over, for that yoke to be removed, and for our pointing of fingers and speaking wickedness to be over. That is available today because if we simply say, I will only speak those things that God gives me to speak, I want to tell you there will be healing in his wings. Not even a question. Verse 11, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that we have that kind of possibility? We have that kind of life that's immediately available to you and I today. 
Can you understand why this would bring her such hope? Can you imagine why sitting in that great moment of despair that these words could bring her such hope? What happens when someone takes their own life? There's a lot of finger pointing. Where do most fingers point? Right here. Because it causes a self-examination. It causes us to wonder about ourselves and that's what was going on. The Lord will guide you continually. So again, it's a promise beyond our religious ritual. We seek God with sincere hearts and with sincere actions. He says, I'll satisfy your soul in drought. I'll strengthen your bones. Those who serve God with sincere hearts and actions enjoy a health and a life of the soul that is impossible for the superficial follower of God. At the end, much, much of the movie of Amadeus, they're talking to Solieri late in his life and he's telling them this story. And finally, at the very end, this young attendant comes in and says, you know, talking to this priest, he says, it's time to go to the water closet. It's time to, to use the bathroom to clean up. It's time to go. And he tells this priest back, he said, it's okay. He said, I am the champion of the mediocre. I absolve mediocrity. And they roll him out into this hallway and you realize that he's talking from some type of an asylum. People chained to the walls, people in cages trying to control them. And he's going down through this line of people saying, I absolve you from mediocrity. I absolve you from mediocrity. What does Satan want from us? What is his objective? He is very, very satisfied if the Christian life will just settle into mediocrity. He's the champion of it. He wants to make sure that there's not much dynamic from your life and that you like it and that you settle into it. And it's comfortable, you know, to be in this place of mediocrity. He's saying, it's okay. Telling the priest, it's okay. It's all right. You're mediocre. I'm the champion of the mediocre. He says, those from among you shall build up the old waste places. Those who serve God with sincere hearts and actions will build. And this is the part that I love. In verse 12, you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. I want us to know there needs to be a great rebuilding work today within the community of God. There has to be great rebuilding. I like watching Fixer Upper. I like watching them take those old houses and I like watching what they do and they, as they redesign them, as they rebuild them. I'm always a little bit marveled, surprised that they can do it far because I certainly couldn't. I like to watch the old restored. As I shared at my mom's funeral, and you've heard me say this many times, I didn't realize this until late in my mom's life. I might have not even really known it until she passed away because in my mom's utility room, there were always grocery sacks of stuff she wanted us to take to be recycled. It's just always odd for my mom to be so concerned about the environment. I, I know she had to be, but I mean, she'd gone, she'd kind of gone to the extreme and she was doing it before it got popular. She was doing it before everybody was doing it. And she would wear us out because I mean, she, she would have things that should have been long thrown away in these sacks, wanting us to take them to Lubbock. It's because my mom could see the value left when everybody else saw what was used and worth throwing away. She could always see the value that was left. What does God do? He always sees the value that's left. He always sees the ability to restore and to rebuild and do it again and renew something and watch something come back to life and, and to become an expression of him. And I want to tell you, there is a lot of rebuilding that needs to occur in the kingdom of God right now. 
And we do it with the power of our words. We do it by, by focusing on the strength of each other and not the failures of each other. We do it. And he says, when you do it, you will become a repairer of the breach. You will be the person who's standing between two people with broken hearts and by one hand that you reach with and the other that you reach with, you will become that bridge, the breach of of figuring out how to close this gap. And God will allow us to be the repairer of the broken, to, to bring healing and goodness, kindness to those who just haven't known it in a long time. Man, I want want so badly, and I'm so grateful for this church in the heart that you have. But my heart just rises and wants so badly for the church, not this one, but the church, the one that God has established, to rise up in this world and begin to speak with a kind voice. It's not an understatement to say we live in a broken world. In every direction, there are breaches that are wide and and they're deep. There are broken hearts and there's broken homes. And that which was once sacred is now lying waste. It seemed like once there was a carefully built fence around the sanctity of family life, the sanctity of our sexual lives, the right to even personal privacy. And now it just seemed like it's a waste place. It seemed like it's just been wiped out. We all wonder what in the world happened. The wall of protection seems to be in ruin. And life to many seems to have lost its meaning. Point them here. Point them to Isaiah 58. Point them to the the instruction of God. That all is not lost. That there is great hope. There is great restoration. There is great healing. There is a great recovery. I'll tell you, I I have visited with some people recently. It came up just in a personal conversation this morning. I've met some people lately when you visit with them, you wonder if drugs have taken such an extreme toll, if there can ever be a recovery, if they can ever come back. Because when you talk to them, they seem to be so far away, so distant, so gone, so lost. And someone asked me that question and I said, there's never a place so far, so deep, so lost that God can't find them and build again what was lost. Guaranteed. Anyone want to bear witness to that truth? That God can do that? I'm right here. Wasn't drugs for me. When you start down this avenue of pride and arrogance and you get so deep, I want to tell you, it's a different climb out. But I want to tell you, outside of the hand of God and the miracle working reality of him, I would have still been there. But there was never a place so far gone that God couldn't reach me. Every one of us who have been lost in sin, I think that kind of covers the group, have in that sin been in such a dark place, recognizing that there's God who reached you there. Hope is in these scriptures. If this isn't you today, if this isn't really speaking to you because you're not in that kind of despair, I want you to be very, very ready because somebody's coming. Somebody's coming that is that broken. Somebody's coming that is that lost and they're going to be looking at you Send them to Isaiah 58. Begin reading in verse 8 and tell them, this is your hope. This is God's promise. It has come true. Tell them and let God do what only God can do. Lord, we thank you this morning that you bring us to this scripture, to the openness of it, to the truth of it. The reality, Lord, that if we will be as true worshipers before you, 
setting aside all that Satan has tried to tell us, setting aside all that Satan has tried to do in us, setting that aside and believing only those things that you have said to be true. So Lord, I pray and I thank you that you allow us to do this in faith, trusting you in scripture, hearing you and the turmoil would be over. Thank you, Lord, for this moment in Jesus name.